0: As as a northerner, as as you can see from this this guy from Newcastle, this is important. There was not many things to hang our hat on. Mm-hmm. Like.
1: But l- he l- said, l- he was like, we don't really care because we're so far north, it's not even a question. It's really yeah, exactly. the people who are it's, like Liverpool, Manchester, who are like, we're in the north.
0: <laughs> he needs to be able to slap other people down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, it's unarguable how good I am. <laughs> you're not even close to us, just so you yeah. know. You are, you're basically London. Yeah, yeah that is <laughs> what,
1: <laughs> what he London. said, yeah,
0: verbatim. <laughs> it's like when you speak to people from like Nottingham, and you see them they visibly shrink when they're like, How uh, you're from the north, are you? And then they stop hearing yeah. the abstracts, and like, Well, well, yeah, I mean yeah, well Yeah. <laughs> north <laughs> of the M twenty five. right.
1: North of Birmingham. <laughs>
0: That's right, mate. Well was that your impression? Yeah. Come yeah. again. Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> sick. Welcome to Black in a Box, the world as told by black faces in white spaces. Here with Dom. Yes, yes. Alana. Hello. Obviously got Angelo here. He's
2: coming.
1: He's coming.
0: And a special, special, special guest. We have architect, writer, multi-hyphenate, <laughs> <laughs> Iwa Efion. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Have I? Is that rolled off the tongue? Correct. The, the multi hyphen. <laughs> yeah. You can <laughs> pat, you can pat me for if, uh, if I need sorting. <laughs> good stuff, mate. How are you? Good. How are you guys?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Really Thank you. good. Yep. Happy to be in the studio.
0: It's really Jack. nice just to be able to like currently just bank twenty degrees. Mm. Just bank that. I can, it's a light jacket, just in case, because it's gonna get cold, but you can just bank that. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's good for the vibes. Mm-hmm. We're gonna open up with Black Out The Box. What have we got that is getting us going, or we need to shine a light on this episode?
1: Um, I'm gonna go for Black Music one because last weekend i got to see thundercat and anderson pack open for red hot chili peppers and i got my fucking life (laughs) it was amazing amazing black music jam session and then next week i'm gonna see megan the stallion and cardi p do their thing and i ordered knee pads for the occasion
0: oh your knees are gonna be singing
1: oh yeah my 30 year old knees they needed the support so i got the pads
0: love it on that note Mean Dom also saw Kate and I don't know what he's gonna say, but Kate and in Brixton. Oh,
2: <laughs> have mercy!
0: Bit, honestly, like people were like crying. It was it was almost biblical.
3: <laughs> I tried to get tickets for that. Oh, oh. it was. So oh, you like, saying it right now makes me very happy. Tra- the,
2: the the acapella, effectively acapella, be your girl. That is one of the best moments I've had in London. Genuinely, oh. genuinely, Mate, before I, the I, drop,
0: I transcended. Like circulate it videos
1: such, if there are any.
0: Honestly, it was like every every beautiful person, every beautiful black person in London, <laughs> uh, except for you were, was there.
1: <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh,
0: except for you and Alana, they were all there. It was it was an experience. Dom, Kendrick, and Meg. Oh yeah, at Glastonbury.
1: Oh yeah.
0: We had a little rant
2: in. Well, I had a little rant in the group about how amazing and how. Seminal, a moment I think it was with um, Meg The Stallion, even more so than Kendrick because Kendrick's Kendrick, but Meg The Stallion, what she brought to Glastonbury this last weekend, Glastonbury has never seen that before. I'm not a huge fan of. Well, I wasn't a huge fan of her music. Yeah. And that one show, she is a superstar. She is an absolute superstar. and I loved every
3: second of it. So big up Meg. Mm-hmm. Rima? Um I am currently wow. Mine is not nearly as kind of fun as yours. (laughs) I haven't seen any music in the last few weeks, but uh, no, actually I did go to a jazz gig, but that wasn't um, what I'm gonna say. I'm reading The Shadow King Mm. at the moment, which is a book about um the kind of Italian kind of occupation of Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And it really is amazing. I think it got shortlisted for the Booker Prize a few years back okay. and yeah. That's okay. that's what I've adding would... I that to my list.
4: Yeah, me too. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: Jello.
4: So, yeah, friend of the pod and Dean White um has been working for a few years on a documentary which um is going to be coming out called Barrel Children. Um and it's the the things so that thousands of people left the Caribbean for the UK, for the promise of working a new life. Many were forced to leave their children behind with relatives. And um, in this documentary, she meets those children. Here's their stories. Um, I can't wait to see it. Nadine White is a friend of the pod. Um, and I'm speaking it into a distance she'll be on soon, but just doing an inc- incredible work at the independent and um, just knowing that she'd done this story, story that is so pertinent to kind of me and my family, and I know that some of the people on that on the pod as well, just really brought joy to me to to, to my heart.
0: Mm. Hold tight, Nadine. I will see you before the end of the year on the pod.
3: Can I can I just jump in real quick and say Newbie Way film um, is being screened at the Barbican, I think this week or next, mm. and there was the opening of the African Centre. Like last week or the mm. week before. So I just want oh, to. So definite. Sorry, that's it. That's, no, that's it, perfect. No,
0: this is it. Add in value, <laughs> add in value to the culture. So, in this episode, um, this month being the anniversary of Grenfell, we want to talk about race and housing aside from Grenfell. We'll talk about race and housing with relation to Grenfell. And then also, we will lean on the experience and knowledge. And general vibe of our special guest, Here you are. Yes, I've got a little story for you. Tell me. It's a very brief one. I was almost an architect of note myself. So i happened? Ta- take you all the way back to it would have been secondary school. So two thousand and two, I did two weeks' experience with. Uh, Kirklees Council <laughs> in the... <laughs> I did work experience with them as well. Yeah, I was in the architect's department and it's a really nice like office. And it was um, Tim Neal hooked me up, Toby's dad. Shout out Tim. Man liked him. And long story short, the math wasn't math in.
1: <laughs> 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 That's kind of key from what I understand. Correct me if I'm wrong for architecture. It's I mean,
3: I think, really sorry to say, it's actually a misconception. <laughs> <laughs> I was lied to you, <laughs> just yeah. They just didn't want me. Tim, <laughs> Tim
0: lied <laughs> I'm sorry. We could have been colleagues. Uh, I mean, it's it's the UK, so I don't know if we could have been colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a police procedural. <laughs> <laughs> God, make a TV shot. <laughs> it can only be one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was, uh, you know, I, in my mind, I liked SimCity. I'd played a lot of Sims. I thought yes, it's just. up Sims. I thought it was just gonna be render and chill, mm-hmm. you know, literally put the blocks in, render it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Madness. Yeah. Are we building this? No. Um.
3: I mean, there's a little bit more to it, but but I mean, that's pretty much it. Okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, you've got Sims. You know what you're doing. You don't need to do the seven years of whatever education that people are peddling these days. Yeah. <laughs> Just get the cheat code. Yeah, Yeah. done.
0: What is the job of an architect?
3: Okay, Um, so an architect designs and, well, an architect deals with the design of a building. Now, depending on like different contracts and stuff, that design phase happens over just the beginning of the project before it goes to like planning and whatever, or if it's like something like a design and build contract, that thing happens until practical completion, which is when you hand over the building hmm. to the client. So <clears throat> it's basically to do with like um, working into the brief, working into the concept, doing uh, design development, working on the coordination between the different consultants, all with the aim of getting to a building that's fit for purpose for the client um and their needs but also something that works cohesively in um the context in which it's based mm. i think that's what architecture is <laughs> i'm still
0: figuring it out yeah i'm going to say that's it's a very comprehensive uh, answer to the question um i guess what drew you to it and you know how how did you get into it okay um
3: i guess it's that Kind of experience that we all have as children, you know, when we draw a picture in school and it's we're told to draw a house with like people and stuff. So it's like um a rectangle and the different kind of shaped squares for the windows, the rectangle for the door. Mm-hmm. And basically, I just didn't stop doing that. Mm-hmm. And as a child, I kind of like to imagine, different worlds. Mm. And it came to to a head when, in secondary school, in art class, um, this was the first, kind of very strangely, it was the last semester of our seventh year. And my art teacher comes up to me and goes, okay, so the next project we are doing is one that's in the architectural scale. And so I had not really kind of thought of it in that way before. And I think I was like obsessed with the work of like, Cy um, Tombly before. So it's like, I don't know if you guys know the work, but it's like these igloos that mm. he made. Mm-hmm. And I drew kind of thing like that with different kind of orbs and stuff kind of flying around. And when I look at it now, I, I saw it a few weeks ago, it seems kind of crazy, but that was my entry into understanding that maybe architecture would be a possibility. Mm-hmm. Sorry, this is actually quite a long answer. But um, being the kind of son of Nigerian immigrants growing up in Belgium, um, it was that thing that like, okay, that's cool, but maybe just do engineering. <laughs> You're going to be a doctor. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> and, and so that's what I did, because um, I was good at um, mathematics, I was good at physics, I was good at art. I wanted to do architecture, but my parents, well, my family told me that engineering would be a more secure choice. Mm. So I did that. I went to University of Manchester. I studied mechanical engineering. In the second year, I was like, mm, maybe this isn't quite what I want to do. But I was like, in order to appease my family, yeah. I was like, I'll finish it. Yeah. So I finished it. did Did actually alright in it. No, actually, that's lot I did quite well. I actually smashed it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> top five, baby. I mean, that is go. smashing That'll it. <laughs> Drop some air horns in there. Hundred <laughs> percent. You have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then
3: I decided to go back to university and start architecture from first year, and ended up going through the kind of process. I mean, do you guys understand the process of what it takes to become an architect in this country? Should I go through that? Please do. Maybe. Yeah. Because
2: all I I've know heard the is a seven years thing that you yeah. were just debunking. Yeah, s- I saw the. Pamphlet. All I know is a seven years uh, thing yeah, that yeah, you were just yeah, debunking.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's three years of a bachelor, one year work placement, two years of a masters, one year working, hmm. and then if you have done a part three course, well, the f- the first part is called part one, the second part is called part two. If you've then done a part three course, you are then able to take the part three exam, which is what allows you to be called an architect in this country oh wow mm. so that's unbelievable it's a lot of studying <laughs> much much more studying than drawing
0: than people would think but well this is it but they've got to they've got to get you in somehow don't they <laughs> it's i mean it's it's so sort of fascinating hearing you hearing you sort of speak in that way and i remember for like for the first couple of years i moved to london i was just like why am i not I'm like, am I right? I'm not making any money. This is awful. And all my sort of mates who were lawyers or worked in like estate management or surveyors, they were like, you don't realise how lucky you are because you are the only one of all of us doing something that he's always done and was doing for free anyway. <laughs> You're just getting paid money to do it. And that yeah. I really sort of that's something I held on to. And then I realised obviously the longer you go on. The money catches up with you anyway, so mm-hmm. it's not something you need to worry about. And I know, obviously, Alana, you've you've now you're now going through this process where you're getting to that point where you're going to be doing something which you love, and it's mm-hmm. just taken that that way. And I know, like, I won't speak for you; you can speak for yourselves. But Dom, you're constantly <laughs> no, but you're constantly you're looking for ways where you can. All oh, right. Okay. Create that situation for yourself. I've not always wanted to be management consultant. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> used to wear pinstripes on school you'd on uniform <laughs> days. <laughs>
3: Tie clip Untank the economy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, don't debunk that because I, I would really, I like the image of you wearing a pinstripe. Oh, it was. It's been there for career affirmally.
2: day. It's yeah. been there <laughs> for briefcase and that. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, imagine how fast you'd have been without the briefcase. <laughs> 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 Phenomenal stuff. Nine, nine. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it is, It is like, at its most base level, you want to be able to, like, say to that kid, like, stick on with that thing, because you can monetize that. And I think that's a beautiful thing now, especially with, like, the way the world's going. You can... There are ways for kids to create things out of things which are, like, joyful and playful and childish. Mm. Mm. Um, obviously, it's not now, because you're doing all the other stuff as well as the drawing. But it's it starts in that place, yeah.
1: But do you enjoy that? I mean, it sounds like you were pretty good at school. So did you enjoy school? Did you enjoy the study and the rigors, even if it was difficult at times?
3: I mean, I I think the engineering thing, I was luck. (laughs) Um, I don't think I was particularly good at school, um, but I I can say that like every job, there are very good days and there are very, very, very dull days. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's the kind of thinking or the understanding that you're gonna enjoy your job like all of the time i think is something that's unrealistic yeah mm-hmm. absolutely. i think if 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 you like it most of the time i think you've done well like yeah. you were talking about your friends that are surveyors and stuff i've got friends in those professions and stuff and they really really do not like their jobs mm-hmm. <laughs> and they those professions get paid more money than architects but i mean that's the price i pay for liking the work i do for mm. more time than they do i guess
0: yeah exactly um just to sort of move on you know we were joking at the beginning about you know we could have been colleagues um it's unlikely <laughs> <laughs> i did when doing my homework um i mean the black architects in the world fairly rare obviously not in african countries but uh, prominent ones which which who creating work where which spans sort of the globe and get these sort of um headline commissions mm-hmm. um lots in to some research, and I think it's one percent of architects registered with the ARB are black um i think reports revealed and as of th- two thousand and nineteen the regulator now holds diversity data for sixty two percent of architects on the register uh, yeah and one just one percent of those describe themselves as black mm-hmm. um and again doing the research there there's there's big names like so david a j uh chris Amair and yinka laurie um Yinka I oh, just got to say Yinka Lore is not
3: an architect he's a
0: designer oh, but, he,
3: but he works at the architectural but, scale so okay
0: yeah. see this is why you get legit people on to check <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to all architects Yinka didn't do the seven years um yeah so I guess knowing the landscape as as you do um did it deter you in any way? Like how, how as, as you sort of got further and further along this path, it, did it in any way change your thinking or desire to, to carry on down that path? I
3: think that kind of growing up, I was always someone that was like, I'm, I'm just gonna kind of do whatever I want to do and then look for people that can mentor and people above me or, or like further down the line than me mm-hmm. um, later. Um, but in terms of like the 1%, of, Brit- of architects registered in the UK are black. I mean, <coughs> I guess that's like a third in comparison yeah. with the, the actual proportion of blacks yeah. in yeah. the UK, it's, it's a third of that. Mm. And I think kind of architecture is a hard slog. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. you're coming, you come from an, you probably, you might come from an immigrant background, your parent wants you to be an, a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, and you come up and say, I'm gonna do a course. That's nearly double. That takes nearly double the time of those courses. Oh, yeah, with no secure employment after. <laughs> um, is that great? Is that okay? Yeah. And and that that is that is an obstacle that I think that a lot of people kind of go through. Mm. And I think that may be one of the things that factors into the fact that so many, um, so little, so few um, black people do the course but it's also I think going back to that idea of looking forward to people that are ahead of you mm. on that path and understanding that yes there's the Francis Carey so there's David Ajay's mm. there's the Mariam Kamara's, but there aren't really that many people that you can look up to yeah. mm-hmm. and if those people aren't in the community then suddenly your child going I want to draw windows and doors for my whole career seems Kind of crazy, yeah. I don't know if I answered your question.
0: <laughs> no, I, absolutely. I guess it's recognizing that there's other structural barriers, which you know, mm. which then have to be dealt with as well. And it's, I think we we've spoken about it in in terms of like other things. And so you can't be it till you can see it, and you just got to keep saying that in terms of like um, the black community because of those reasons. If if you can't make a case to say, look, you can make a career from this, and people are like how. <laughs> who's doing it yeah well there's a class based element to
2: it as well isn't there? because the majority of black people in this country are working-class lower income families so yeah. to your example like you said if you have to do so much studying you in education for so long how are you gonna be able to sustain that how are you gonna be able to really put your all into it if you need to juggle a part-time job and you're doing so many hours so I think it makes sense why so many people from lower income backgrounds I'm gonna spend my three years in, in, in university then I'm gonna get a job that can help me and it can help my family. So there'll be all kinds of professions like that where it's seen as such a sacrifice and one that some people just don't think is viable for them. So I get it completely.
1: But even as um, as an architect, you have a lot of interface with people from all over the built environment sectors. So like I'm in construction as well, civil engineering, more on the sustainability end, but there's so much that goes into it and I also, like have interface with architects and designers and things like that. And it still feels like within this industry, which is one of the biggest industries in the UK, that in the more skilled technical roles, there's still, I I don't know what the statistics are, but a smaller percentage of black people. Um, So I don't know, is that something that you can, that you've witnessed? and is there any sort of i don't know do you think there are barriers or is there like a lack of interest like what is that
3: (laughs) i think i think it's both i think the lack of interest because of those um characteristics of like um black families that Mm. you refer to is the biggest barrier to um black people entering into architecture but also i will say that i think it's getting better Mm. and Believe me, I hate the fact that I've just said that <laughs> and it's been recorded. <laughs> but I do think it's getting better because there's more visibility. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the fact that now that we have the internet and social media, g- there are good and bad, right? But like one of the good things that has come from it is that other black practitioners, whether they are architects or they are in architectural adjacent kind of professions, are more visible and and you're able to kind of congregate at events yeah. where you know that there's going to be a big proportion of people there that look like you. I mean, for example, like this year's—well, no, next year's architecture biennale in Venice. The curators, two of them, are um, have parents that are black. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, that's that's a huge thing for like representation, yeah, and understanding the people I- in architecture, if you are a, a young black kid, there are people there that are doing very well in the industry that look like you, and also that are younger than maybe the David Adjays or the Frances mm. yeah. that's because that's, that, that's one of the things that I have issue with at the moment, in so much that finding a mentor that's closer to my age, mm. that has experiences closer to me, that's an issue.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I I think the importance of like that sort of visibility on social is huge and you see it in a lot of other sort of environments where black people might have thought i'm not necessarily welcome so like obviously black black um you know, black children have always like the parents pushing them on to go to like oxbridge like you're gonna get your education you're gonna do this you're gonna like go and be part of this. And now you see um, this visibility of people joining like the ACS at Oxford, at Cambridge, and it's seeing a community of people in a space which isn't like historically for you is a huge thing. And I guess the next question is, is there like a tight-knit community of of, of given like sort of the numbers we discussed within um, the architectural community or the sort of wider built environment where you're starting to um, sort of yeah closer together and 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 have a higher profile as a result i i think there is
3: i mean i don't know what a tight community is well i i i I don't know the metrics but i i know that like some other black practitioners or adjacent um practitioners are people that i hang out with and people mm. that i've made friends with which is something that's happened maybe in the last two or three years, mm. which is something that I'm so kind of thankful for, and that's partly to do with some of the programs that I've in, um uh, gone into, but also like some residencies where you'll see like that other black guy, and it's mm-hmm. it's that classic like awkward thing of like, hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> me and you, friends. <laughs> <Of course. right? laughs> so yeah, I, I think I think there is a r- amongst some of my friends that are black, there is that feel of like proximity yeah. and closeness. Yeah.
0: And I think um, maybe I guess I should know this as a marketer often that sort of community aspect and grouping together is done from the outside. You don't realize when you're in the middle of it, but it's like, Oh, in, in time that there'll be a label given to, it. Oh, it's that period when there was the rise of the, you know, whatever they decide to group that as, mm-hmm. because it's seen as the start of the time when people, uh, when young black architects in the UK were more visible, and numbers went up as a result elsewhere. So, yeah. I guess it's often yeah something which comes from the outside rather than from within. Yeah, I have thought about that
3: about the, this idea of how, because um, I think the kind of rise of like black architects in the UK came maybe maybe three or four years ago. And I do think about that time and think, what what more people think about the time where suddenly there was like these young guys that were black that were suddenly doing architecture mm. they were mm. very visible. Mm.
1: It's like a renaissance of, it, it actually reminds me of almost like the Harlem Renaissance where there was just this like explosion of like black literature and art and music in America. Um, And that actually really changed like the way we experienced and interpreted the world. Like it had such a significant impact on just like language and art and just the way that we moved in space. So I wonder, do you think, is there a, this would just be a guess or maybe like an intuition of yours, but how do you feel having more black perspectives in the built environment like creating the world around us could potentially change the world <laughs> change how yeah. we experience the world no pressure no no pressure this is this I've is just, just like a daydreaming sweating. like this is like <laughs> yeah <laughs> um
3: it, it's kind of strange because in architecture i think those people that are kind of coming to the fore are still quite young and still in the infancy of mm. of their careers so when we're talking about people that are working in architecture i mean you design a building, it gets built. back, that's like five years, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah. they're still in their infancy, and and I think I am very excited to see what happens in those spaces, you know, and what um, those guys get up to. Um, there's like Studio Niali, that's um, I think just established like last year, that did a pavilion at the Venice Biennale last year, and. Um there are people like Mariam Kamara who is now getting quite big um commissions, but she's kind of working internationally. Mm. So it's there's like that kind of teaser and we're all I think very excited to see what happens.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. You're not only an architect, mm-hmm. you're also a writer. Mm-hmm. Um and that's you saw. Oh. You say your writings. You see your writing as part of your sort of cultural practice, and how you feel your writing informs your architecture. Um, where
3: did I? Yeah, I mean, you've done your research, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, flattered. Where did
0: I? Where did I write that? That was given to me by Angelo. Okay. Um. So. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So I t- I'll tell you what. Let's take a step out. Let's take a step out. Okay. Um. As an architect, you mentioned there, like when you when you were working on a building obviously yeah. it takes a long time mm-hmm. like the, the life of a uh, sort of working architect as yourself like yeah. what is what does maybe i don't know how how one how do you measure time um is it like project to project and two like what does like what would say like a 5 year like cycle to you look like is that an appropriate amount of time to <sighs> work in i think i think it depends
3: on the project right so the project i'm working on at the moment i think it came into the office in a year ago and it's going to tender and it's going to be on site by september okay which is very 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 quick Mm -hmm. Mm. so it like really depends on um the project to project and and i think now it's also kind of a weird time because people are trying to get things on site before the recession happens yeah trying to get um prices set for like building materials because they're all over the place at the moment Mm -hmm. um so it I'm um, again not answering your question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry. Uh,
1: Agile agility yeah. uh, is what we're hearing yeah. flexibility. Yes, yes, that's it. Thank you. <laughs>
3: yeah. Okay, actually it's kind of interesting in so much that like in the western world we spend 90 95% of our time in buildings, right? So it's um really speaking and writing about everyday experiences and um, elevating some things that are almost banal to mm. to th- th- things that are worthy of like consideration so I think that's how um, that's the angle that I take with my criticism that's the angle that I tried to instill in my students when mm. I worked at the university I, th- I,
0: I think about what... Yeah, t- like as you say, we're in buildings all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about what's gone on with like the food revolution in culture, and I mean, Grand Designs was the very tip of it, but it, it to me it became a bit of a parody because every episode was the same. <laughs> it's <laughs> like oh, got to this point, and the person almost runs out of money. Yeah. What do they do? Usually, they're an architect or they're a like or they're a builder. Yeah, like, every single time, similar demographic of society, whereas. I think tapping into pop culture, like it should be. Some I don't understand why this has not become sort of a mainstream fixation mm-hmm. for like the world. Obviously, you you had in, like interior design and changing rooms and stuff back in the day. But yeah. Yeah. we, I was me and my housemate uh, went on a like a walk to from we're in Campbell now. We walked through Bermondsey, through a couple of parks and up to Shad Thames and along, and we're just like you look So, oh, when's that from? We'll go inside, yeah. is there a plaque or something, and you'll read it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't understand how that's not like we've not this hasn't become sort of a a bit of a sort of modern fixation of culture and there aren't like there aren't blogs there aren't like mm-hmm. uh meme accounts there aren't like things that people are consistently talking about given yeah. like the, the history that we've got on all of our streets and people yeah. understand it to a decent degree um and like obviously like it's something we should all like we we all understand I, I, it's curious to me that as you say it's not it's still quite like it's seen as this elevated mm-hmm. lofty thing that you've got to be trained to understand
3: yeah mm. i mean i think that's by design mm. but um first of all i'm going to go back to the point on grand designs because architects hate <laughs> grand <laughs> <designs>. <laughs> and i i would say that that's a mistake you know because for so many people like you mentioned change rooms and so mm. so many people that's their first um kind of introduction to mm. the discipline of architecture or, or the discipline of sp- any discipline of spatial design. So I think architects should chill out <laughs> and <laughs> stop bad What's it, what's the name of is it?
2: Kevin McLeod
3: is it, is it? Yeah. McLeod, yeah. Who studied architecture, I believe. Um but going to your point of like the mystification of architecture, hmm. I think that's by design. Because it's something that's in the uk especially like buildings homes are disassociated from the kind of very basic need of shelter and the very basic need of like housing people Mm. and they have become this weird thing that's like an investment which if you invest then suddenly you have to have a discipline that designs um or that takes care of that investment in such a way that not everybody can access that. But also just the simple fact that um, these are very, very complicated processes that span, as I said um, before, like five years. So Mm. these are the reasons. It's not something that's as accessible as other disciplines. But I will say that there is um, a kind of growing um cohort of people that when they want to engage an architect for their services will have a pinterest board you know so people Mm. are engaging with the discipline um but as for meme accounts and stuff that they do exist and i follow them all (laughs) yeah (laughs) but um then they're not as popular as maybe yeah, like art art meme accounts yeah or
1: which i find so interesting because like i love architecture it's the one thing that i like to when i go traveling like especially cathedrals mm-hmm. are like my favorite yeah things in the world cathedrals and actually weirdly like cemeteries are like big like things because i just think they're so beautiful and maybe it's because coming from the states and especially coming from palm springs where like everything is just like flat one level it's so different mm-hmm. going somewhere else um, but then even a place like Palm Springs, which is all that like mid-century modern, like very specific, almost looks like the Jetsons. Like yeah. I grew up with like a kind of awareness of architecture. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, I find it interesting to hear that, especially here in the UK, cause I come here and I'm like, this place is so old and you have all different styles of buildings. Like how can you not? Well,
2: that's the thing I think, because we take it for granted. Yeah. It's only once you start to travel, And I think the US is a really good example of it because the one place in America that I often compare to London and always gets compared to London is New York. And I always say that I love Manhattan, Mm. but Lord, it bores me to look at because what is there? Everything is like, what, what, 60 years old, not much older. Mm -hmm. And you come to London and that's why Americans are so dumbfounded when they come to London because you can have a gherkin down the mm-hmm. road from a St. Paul's Cathedral. Mm-hmm. And that's just alien to so many other people. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why in the UK so many people take it for granted because we've been raised around buildings that yeah. are like 700 years
3: old. Yeah, that's or crazy. like a 400 year old pub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But like going back to your um, your kind of home context of like uh, California, mm-hmm. um, there's an account actually that deals with, the. Um, th- it's called Hood Century Modern, I think, <laughs> and it is. Phenomenal. I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> I tried try to look at it on my phone there, but but um,
0: this is what we need more of. And that's like, yeah. even less like the meme account. So my job primarily is for like to create ways for brands to authentically talk to people in the language of social. And I mean, a, a, an architecture, like it, no one's ever going to like hire me to do that for them. Mm. But just knowing how people use social just... Little ways to make people understand the story, whether it's a progression like where you just do a carousel of a building from plan to like halfway through the build mm-hmm. to some like to the full build or to something which yeah. is like, we're all references. Yeah. So you've seen this, have you like, and then this is, these are the reference points, and people start to understand like, oh, like that leads to that, leads to that. And just yeah. there are so many ways nowadays to help people understand that thought process and. Mm-hmm. and get a better grasp of it without, you know, you're not dumbing it down or sort of devaluing the, yeah. the, the actual craft itself.
3: I mean, I'll also say that architects struggle to do that as well, right? Yeah. We, we struggle to convey the kind of processes that result in the buildings that we build just because there are thousands of them mm-hmm. kind yeah. of thing. And that kind of distilling it down into kind of bite-sized pieces that people um, can understand is something that the industry is still trying to work out. Yeah, it's
0: probably... In fact, easier from the outside because I've I'm coming from a position of absolute ignorance. It's like yeah, just like oh, that makes sense to do that like that. What is your what would you say is your favorite? What is your favorite aspect of being an architect? What you saying? What's your favorite building? <laughs> That's what I was expecting. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> Well, you can answer I that I do shortly. want to know if you have one. <laughs> you know, if you have one of mine.
3: You know what the worst thing about that question is? I get asked it quite often. Yeah. And every time I go, shit, I should probably have, <laughs> I should have prepared an it as I for know. this. <laughs> and I normally, I normally say something along the lines of, I like different buildings for different things, which is <laughs> exactly. like a vagary that I use to basically say nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could
1: just be like, oh, you wouldn't have heard of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: yeah, what's what's your favorite aspect of being an actor? Just because, like, obviously we've been uh, from when we're talking today, there's there's so much to it, mm-hmm. so much to it. You know, the current project you're working on, the inside. Previously, you work on different parts of different yeah. buildings. So yeah, what what's your favorite part of 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 the job? Whether that's a specific like aspect of it or yeah,
3: what? I think. I think my favorite kind of part of the job is understanding or seeing something go from concept to something that's like buildable, right? Mm. We we're talking about design beforehand and how that changes in different kind of contract settings, and um, it's very rarely do you design something fully and then send it off to the contractor and they build it. Yeah, it is something that's in flux for the whole five years that happen that it's kind of being developed in and built and i think that i always say kind of if we get 50 percent of the building that i designed or we designed at the very beginning then that's a win but also kind of waiting to see where it will stop or where it will land that's something that's great and how it associates with the kind of um, initial principles that were in the design, mm. right, and also then in the end how it helps hopefully um, the community that it's being designed and built for. That's a very good answer. Thank you. Fine, yeah. <laughs> that was off the cuff as well. It, it, it wasn't. Yeah.
0: It was a bad. Yeah. <laughs> good. Well, I, I mean, we'll just we'll just edit out the bit when you said your favorite film was uh, your favorite building was a gherkin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Please leave this in. That's really.
3: Funny. Uh, <laughs> really love Norman Foster. He's my fave. Yeah, the architect.
0: Yeah. The big... I'd I'd actually suggested Mole House. Is like, nah, no.
3: Oh my god! So I used to live in Dulston, and to, I saw I was like working in Waterloo at the time. So I'd cycle past it every day, and before there was like a documentary on Nowness, mm. and before. Um, Ajay really started kind of publicizing that house. I was like, that house is pretty fucking cool. Oh, am I in yeah, Of course, okay. yes. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Worst okay. things have been said. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. I'll keep it PG-16. <laughs> or whatever. Um, so I'd cycle past it every day, and I'd be like, that is a really, really cool house. And I think it was like a year after that um, Ajay started kind of um, publicizing it, and mm. then that Nounas thing came out um and yeah i was um my tastes were confirmed by
0: <laughs> the documentary that came yeah could, could, how much of it can you actually like see from the oh can you very see? little oh.
3: i think there's like um there's a kind of wall that goes around it and there's yeah. you can see the top of I think it must be the second or third degree. Yeah. And you can see the top one with their kind of mirrored windows. Mm. Because you know, you, I mean, it's not its not pristine, but you know that a lot of kind of care and consideration has gone into the architecture that's there. Mm. And there's another Ajay house on that street as well, which is quite strange because he doesn't really do residential mm. projects.
0: Yeah, so f- for context, Mole um, House is a house in Hackney um de Beauvoir de Beauvoir town yeah. in the what, Hackney borough yeah where, which owned by uh, an artist who Webster who's friends with uh, David Ajay and she said will you sort this out mm-hmm. basically it was a derelict property which had been owned by some, someone affectionately termed as the the Hackney Mole Man
3: yeah <laughs> Makes, had, this story is, is it sounds like it's been made
0: up honestly he'd been in this, this property was in absolute rack and ruin and he'd been he called the mole man because he'd just been burrowing <laughs> through, like Andy Dufresne, just burrowing holes th- underneath this property, yeah. and the roof was falling. It was a mess, and then obviously it was bought, um, stabilised, and yeah, he was.
3: I mean, I think he lost a house as well because he was trying to burrow under the the street in front, and then it started collapsing a bit. Yeah, and I think the community was like, "You're strange."
1: <laughs> this is the most hackney thing and i've ever heard you can
3: do whatever you want within the confines of your property but our street is collapsing yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> please please stop but also um it's, it's sue webster isn't it yeah so the i think it's dirty house so one of the first yeah. ones that he didn't shortage that was for mm. her and her then partner as yeah. well so like yeah they're, they're great clients or I imagine they're great clients.
0: Shout out Sue, shout out uh, Mo Man. Yes, <laughs>
3: yes, you, you're a great person and I'm glad um, your actions resulted in that house. Don't live anywhere near me, please. <laughs> Mo Man, I've never
1: heard of that. So good, <laughs> that's gonna be my Halloween costume. <laughs>
0: 14th of june we are recording this on a couple of weeks removed from the fifth anniversary of the grenfell tower disaster and i can't believe it's five years to be honest Mm -hmm. i can't believe it's five years just because of it's 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 still so fresh in the mind yeah so little feels like it's moved on and i guess that's also a reflection of what society is like now we you know we we Talk about something. There's outrage. So many people can get can die, and then unfortunately, there's like we just have to lurch into the next crisis, into the next thing, into the next thing, into the next thing. Um, but yeah, here we are. Um, I think it's to be fair to sort of, you. Well, you you're not from the the UK, no. So no. Um,
3: and I and I wasn't living in London at the time.
0: So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we. The, I think we were all sort of living here and I was actually living in West London at the time and the shocking thing about it is like, is it's the property's sort of proximity to like some of the wealthiest parts of West London yeah. and just going past it on the train and we're just gonna chuck a dust sheet on it and you know, it's it's all gonna be okay, mm. I guess. How aware of you uh, about you know what caused the fire, like in terms of like the cladding?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got a I've got an understanding of uh, what caused the fire, mm. uh, which was a <clears throat> a malfunctioning fridge on yeah. one of the floors that then uh, caused the cladding to spark, mm. and it was ACM cladding, which is like two sheets of um, aluminium that's sandwiched, and the inner layer then caused fire and created a a, a like. A chimney effect, yeah. which yeah. then meant that the fire uh, kind of very quickly kind of made its way through the building. Mm. Uh,
0: yeah. It's, oh my god. It, it's it's quite it's it's, it's a really sickening thing because I think we I lived in student halls. If you live in the student halls here, like the amount of times I've seen like that cladding on on buildings in the UK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just you just completely take it for granted and, and you view it now through a completely different context um what say do you have as, as an architect over like what goes on a building like obviously you design what what it's what's going to be it has to fit a certain amount of people you've yeah. got a certain amount of space mm-hmm. like what impact do you have on what that building actually looks like yeah, and the materials are you? yeah
3: yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna try and actually answer this question Okay. basically it's something that's like constantly in flux. The Mm. building that I'm working on at the moment, it is going to tender in two days, which is when you document the building so that a contractor can price how much it's gonna cost to to build. The external walls of the building were set less than a week ago. So that is hundreds of drawings that have to be updated in order for me to meet that tender deadline in two days so i mean things are in flux for a very very long time and it's not one person that decides us as architects we um, communicate the design intent and then our um, consultant team lets us know whether that's possible or not Mm. but then it also goes to the council like to to build and control so that we get to a building that is as i said um, quite a few times on this podcast fit for purpose yeah. right mm-hmm. but in the case of grenfell i'm not going to po- pass the blame no. on no, x not. y or z because i i mean the inquiry the inquiry's is still going on so yeah. i we we don't really know but what seems to be the case is that the manufacturer said that it had passed the fire testing when uh, i think it hadn't yeah essentially Mm -mm. or it hadn't to the specific requirements of um that had um, been put in place beforehand and i think i mean there were fires that were caused beforehand um in different places call let me just find it there's like a fire in dubai in 2015 like just before that had acm cladding Mm. there was lacking house in camberwell in 2009 Mm -hmm. Um, the Wuxian Golden Suite in Busan in 2010, the La Crosse Tower fire in Melbourne in 2014. You know, so yeah, I'm. We rely on manufacturers to tell us that these products are, mm. are safe. That's that's, but it's also kind of endemic of the construction industry in which risk is is like allocated to different parties and like the hacker inquiry report that came out at the end of 2017 kind of came out with this and said that basically the issue what's been happening here is that we don't actually know who's who's to blame because the responsibilities have been passed around
5: yeah
1: yeah
3: so in answer to your question not one
0: person oh and that's that's always difficult it's it all these things it comes down to like one person say so if that person may like sign this off like they're under pressure to get certain quotas yeah. to get certain things done the timelines that you've got to work to probably then don't allow for like a lot of sort of testing and checking before stuff like that the, the, everything's really tight everything's like pressure against so when you've got like the it it opens it up for things to happen which you know can't be verified can't be checked and it's yeah you end up in in positions like like this when no one would have known if that fridge wasn't fucked
3: but in this case they would have right because there were several fires oh, before well, yeah and i think in to to do something like not correctly test mm. like a cladding material I don't know.
1: That particular cladding in that style had been tested, like every year that it had been tested for five years, it was not fire safe. And then there was somebody else who consulted on Grenfell, I think, I can't remember what his role was, but Mm -hmm. he he basically said 10 years prior to the fire, he was like, this is a giant torch, just so you know. And nothing was really done
3: it brings me back to this kind of idea of architecture as a luxury, right? And kind of in the case of Grenfell, you can't kind of ignore the fact that it was full of Mm non-white people, you know? Mm. I'm not saying that all all the people that lived there were non-white, but a lot of um, people were. So it's like, if architecture suddenly wasn't considered to be a luxury, then maybe they would have had, like, a better architect, you know, that would have flagged this up in the project and been like, or a better design team mm-hmm. specifically that would have flagged this up and been like, this is an issue yeah. kind of thing. And I think, yeah, in that respect, that's what I think about. And the fact of the matter that the client was um, the royal borough and obviously with austerity and stuff, suddenly it's it's like something that's... Like recladding this 1970s building oh. to make it more beautiful, which th- th- that in itself is like a loaded term, <laughs> mm-hmm. is is kind of a difficult thing to kind of come to terms with. Yeah. The whole thing's a bit sad
0: because it's like, that's, as you say, if someone's saying, okay, this thing's going to go up in flames, you s- you see this a lot. I see a lot of work acknowledging that, seeing that there's, an, noticing that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that not a lot of people have got the courage just to, to stop things which are gonna cost money yeah to stop that problem yeah. becoming a bigger issue like cool. most people just do a risk assessment so well I can pass that risk mm-hmm. on but you, <laughs> you can't you can't do that when they're uh, then there are lives large at stake um, and that's I mean that's another one of the issues
3: right so um, one of the other things that failed in this situation is that the legislation just wasn't robust enough yeah. mm-hmm. right and there I, there was and i'm really glad that like in the last 5 years i've seen this actually change and so much that people are taking more consideration into the materials that they're using and that's like partly due to like things like insurance and stuff but in this case the, the legislation doesn't wasn't robust enough which meant that this team that worked on this project were able to kind of skirt some of those kind of requirements you know which is something that's the hap that happened fingers crossed mm. a lot in the industry and it's something that i'm starting to see less of Ooh. that people are starting to go no this we need to actually fulfill we need to fulfill the requirements of this legislation as per the intended the intention of this legislation and not just kind of do a tick box exercise yeah, yeah. or or that's That's what the practices that I am working for Mm. um,
4: do. I mean, I think it's fair to say that the what happened leading up to Grenfell is one thing, but what's happened afterwards is very revealing about this nation. I remember about six months ago when the um, survivors called on the government, called on the Met Police to speed up. The fact of the matter is, there have been no prosecutions. Mm I think that goes back even to what you were saying that the residents inside that building, there was and is a certain value, uh, and it's a horrible thing to say, but there is a certain value that was placed on their lives, mm-hmm. and a, I think that one of the most suffocating things about um, living in the UK, specifically England, is the absolute amount of tap dancing we have to do when it comes to subjects of race.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, the the fact, the reason that that cladding was on there in the first place because the, pe- the the rich people of that borough did not want to be reminded that poor people lived among them, to the fact that there has been nothing close to justice for those people. and And I think that the closest that they will get is some kind of public inquiry where lessons will be learned. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was absolutely wrapped up in race. And yeah. the problem is that even saying that, I already know that if, if if I kind of brought that to people in power, they would ask for 27 bits of empirical data. Yeah. And actually, the data is the absence. It's the fact that nobody has been persecuted. It's the fact that um, this was known since 2000, and nine, there was the fact that this happened uh, uh, a couple of years before in Dubai, and nothing was done. It's 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 the absence of data that makes what happened, in my opinion, so. Dying.
3: I mean, I I really hope that the survivors of Grenfell and the those that lost people in the fire do get some sort of resolution that is that is more than just another report, right? Yeah. Because there there is there is a paper trail right hmm. that decision was the result of hundreds of pieces of correspondence hours of meetings maybe not specifically to do with that cladding but this the the decision to use that cladding can be traced back
4: yeah but, well let's be let's be super clear on this um 2007 test by kingspan um that we used at Granfeld. They said that it would cause a raging inferno. That company kept using the test results from an earlier version to market the product. In 2013, um, the executives at Salotex, which made most of the insulation on the tower, had known that in the event of a fire, its insulation would burn. 2009, an iconic executive shared images of a burning tower fitted with similar panels to show you how dangerous it can be when it comes to architecture. Yeah, the evidence is known. It's and this is why I get so frustrated because it's like, well, provide me the evidence. Here's the evidence. Well, it's been a long time, so lessons must be learned. It's like, well, when the faces are and Eva, I'm not going to hold you to my statement because yeah. you have like endorsements and stuff, but I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when it when it comes to it, it's like the, the the way that goalposts can shift again highlights it. It's like we've asked for evidence. Here's the evidence. Well, there's, it's been a long time, and I think the important thing is lessons need to be learned. It's, it would be a lot better for my physical, spiritual, and emotional health yeah. if there was just if people in power in this country went, look, come on, we know that we run a dual economy, and if you are rich and your face fits, you will get on a lot further. And and if they just said that and made me not have to kind of lose my mind at things that seem really obvious and gaslight me and millions of others that look like me I think we'd all breathe easier because the fact of the matter is if Grenfell had happened to the residents in the rich high-rise towers it would have had a very different outcome
1: yeah oh yeah
3: I will say this though that since Grenfell there has been legislative change right that makes the use of such materials less likely right and if, I mean, if that's anything, it's it's something to to be optimistic about because something like Grenfell should not happen ever again. In fact, I hope the dear God it it doesn't.
0: Yeah, and I, I feel like it, it really sort of knits into our sort of final topic, where we're talking, where you're talking sort of about the, the 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 value of the lives of the people uh, in in those towers and. Looking into some social research, um, one in three British adults, thirty five percent, are now, uh, sorry, one in three British adults in total are now impacted by the housing emergency. And a f- polling of 13,000 Britons found that black people are 70% more likely to be impacted by housing emergency than white people. <coughs> in total, one million black adults and 1.8 million Asian adults do not have a safe or secure home comp- compared with white, adult, white adults. Um, it's I've been in London for 10 years now I've gone to my 11th year I'm now living in Camberwell and I've seen how house building and how sort of gentrification has been used almost weaponized to sort of change demographics in London um as an architect, who was sort of living outside of London, and and now you sort of you've, you've worked in out uh, inside London, outside of London. Yeah, is it like, what is your sort of view of 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 the way, sort of, demographics are, are changed by sort of the types of properties that are, that are put into in areas? It's kind of really quite horrible,
3: mm. right? Because it is, these are normally places that kind of black and brown people have been banished to, essentially, right? And the prices of those places um, go down and then suddenly like artists move in Mm -hmm. and they bring their cafes and then suddenly this is a desirable place to live. So the people that... Kind of lived there before, and then displaced, and it's like I live in Hackney, and there are some pockets where you see where you see this. I live quite close to Broadway Market, and I mean, I I don't I don't re- think I need to explain what's happening there. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there was a thing a few months ago where the Planet Organic was mm-hmm. there was there was a thing against the Planet Organic there, and I think. <laughs> I think I saw something from, like, th- the lead buyer for Planet Organic. That's like I don't understand why people wouldn't want us to be on Broadway Market, and you're just like, "Are you okay? <laughs> 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 like, do do you understand what it means for people to kind of come in and then expect a Planet Organic in a place like Hackney?" Yeah, and I I think that there's a lack of understanding and, and people also very much, gentrification is a word that's used a lot, right? Mm. And people, I mean, it's almost a joke now, you know, by gentrifiers in which they say, oh, like, yeah, but I still shop at like my Turkish across the road, so I can't use that G word around me. <laughs> it's like, I, I very much can. honestly. But also I'm like in a weird situation as well because Obviously, I'm not from Hackney and I live there. So it's kind of that kind of double vision that I have where I'm like, am I
0: contributing to this?
3: Am I like, part of the problem? Yeah. I, I
1: pro- live I in the p- neighborhood too. Yeah. So I feel that way You all are. I probably am. <laughs> all four of us are. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've got some st- stat here. In 2001, the proportion of <laughs> Black Britons who were owner occupiers stood at 39%. Mm-hmm. By 2016, it's fallen to 29%. So that's 15 years that's a 10% drop in people that own and that's in many cases like being moved out of areas and there are, there are, you know there are lots of different reasons for that like for that sort of barriers barrier to ownership but it's um it's it's funny you're talking about how like they'll put a planet pan organic in they'll put mm. a coffee shop in yeah and you see that in these communities they'll put a, they'll fit bricks in like they've thrown up this massive like really big tower next to the skate park people hated it tried to sort of
3: right by pop brixton yeah Mm
0: right yeah tried to sort of appeal against it but to no avail um and what will happen is people move in right next to the market there'll be like a a west indian shop don't like the smell don't like the spices and this has happened in two cases i I don't have the, the name to hand the shop has to shut down the, the
3: big cash and carry yeah that got moved yeah, yeah 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 i heard about this
0: yeah and you just and you see that's how they start to sort of break up these communities and it's like sort of it's almost sort of death by a thousand cuts and there was a there's a story recently which i'll try and remember the name of, but where issues over freehold over like a kind a, of a, a shop like on the corner that has been there for 20 years i own this and then suddenly someone's like well no back in 25 years ago, I've got this piece of paper which is actually in it. Shops forced out because there's there's an insufficient paper trail. And this happens to my eyes um, disproportionately to shops which are cornerstones of sort of black communities over other communities and then, yeah, get them out. Let's get a coffee shop in. You're just in contactless payments. Everybody loves this. Um, and it's it's kind of... As you say, I've I've moved into London. I was born here though, so technically no. I've no. returned. No, to, no, uh-uh. Uh-uh. no. I'm really
3: glad you said that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it is, it, yeah. It's 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 really sort of quite heartbreaking to see, um, as, especially as someone who's like I've, I've moved back into London, and it's like okay, you see your people, you you find like your tribe, and then I'm like actually no. This is this is sort of yeah. slow death almost of of this. Um, but you you live in Hackney. I do. Yeah. How do you sort of feel about this, the the G word? G
1: um, issue? I've always lived in places that are like that, so I I feel like I have that kind of double vision too, where um I'm attracted to a place because of the culture, because of the diversity, this that and the other, and it feels a little bit like home, but then. There's a part of me that's like, "Mm, but am I also attracted to this place because they do have, you know, these nice coffee shops. I mean, I'm from Palm Springs, damn it. Like (laughs) (laughs) like, you want to talk about gentrified. And then I moved to, you know, when I went to uni, I was at USC, which was like the land of like all the spoiled rich kids. And it was like I've always kind of been in those environments. So it's not Mm -hmm. unfamiliar to me, but it is weird. Um. What I see in the Hackney area is like almost what I saw happen in Silicon Valley or like Santa Monica, Venice, after like social media booms It was like, Venice is a place that was actually very like artsy, very rough when I was growing up, which is where my family is from in LA. And- Venice Beach. Venice Beach, yeah. yeah. And you would never know going back there now, because it's like rag and bone and spin and yoga boutiques, and like intelligence coffees. And it's like, within less than a generation, completely different place. So it's really sad, because people move there for a certain energy, yeah. and then they destroy the energy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> One sort of thing I'd looked into is like, I think we've mentioned a few of those sort of, I, I questioned often like, would they ever be like, would we ever see like black middle class neighborhoods given that sort of the black working class neighborhoods don't really have been, uh, are being broken up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I will throw it to you. I know it's something me and Dom have talked, spoken about in the past as to whether, you know, it's going to be a thing, but yeah. sort of my view on that is like everyone saw sort of mangrove, small acts. That's where it would be if it had been allowed to, but you, we we saw what happened to them during like that. The ownership wasn't allowed. The community got broken up and i'm just have to like i wonder myself having cited what happens to restaurants when people move in um if the sort of communities are not allowed to form if the institutions are not sort of there that people need i i just question whether these sort of communities would be able to sort of thrive enough for for them to become established it's kind of a strange thing like elsie
3: owusu who is a British-Guinean architect who is like two generations above me, um, tried to kind of start such a community in Hastings mm. and was just met with like loads of NIMBYism. And it's just like, it's also kind of, I think it, the, the underlying question is, will that ever be allowed to happen? And I'm not sure that that, that will ever be allowed. And it's also kind of there's like an appropriation of different cultures that's kind of rife, which means that you we can never have all that space that we just um, kind of say is ours and um, kind of builds community from that. There will always be a certain amount of permeability through those communities. Yeah. And whether that allows for... Uh, kind of diluting of the culture or not, I, I, d- I don't really understand. I don't really know, hmm. essentially. Hmm. I don't know. But also, um, I mean, I just remembered an example of a community that's actually fought back against um, the drive to gentrification. I think it was like in South Tottenham or something, there was like this big development, and I don't know the details, and I probably should have said anything. but. Um, Where they try to kind of create like hundreds of homes and kind of basically displace this like Latino community there, and they fought back in one at the end of last year. Mm. So there is hope.
0: And finally, back in the box, who, what, where, whom is getting put in the bin? Uh, R. Kelly has
4: been sentenced to thirty years in prison. Get him in the box. Get in the box sure he's underneath it um but yeah he's got 30 years breaking news uh very very pleased that man is in the
1: box in the box can i just add one really quickly too clarence thomas get in the box and shuffle over a cliff didn't just
2: the maxwell only got 20 years
3: yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you don't need to say anything else
0: and that's everything i want to thank Ewa. Thank you
3: so much for having Thank
0: us. you so thank much you, for coming Ewa. on. Thank oh. you, Ewa. Thank you. No, thank you. A, a tremendous guest. I want to thank Alana. Thank you. Dom. Yes, yes. Jello. Thank you. And the good folk at Outset as ever. We out.